0: We thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to gather and to worship and to to refresh ourselves in your word and and to be a be a family of faith. And and we know that you instituted that. You started that. You brought these things about. And you are glorified by that. And we we want to we want to do that well this morning. We want to rest, we want to relax, we want to worship. And we want to we hear what you have to say to us. So we pray that everything that is of us would melt away and that all things of you would, would be prominent. That your spirit would lead us into the throne room, into your presence in a unique and powerful way this morning. That your word would pierce our hearts in a joyfully convicting way bringing us that much closer to Yourself. We pray that You would silence all things around us, in us, in our thoughts, uh, anything that would compete with Your voice this morning. We pray that You would put it off to the side, that You would have spotlight right now, You, alo- you and You alone. And we thank You for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh, by the way, uh, my father-in-law is a, is a baseball freak. He's got, you know, a whole room that's just stacked floor to ceiling with baseball stuff, uh, cards and shirts and brochures and everything else. And he, he gave us this. It says, welcome to the Phillies 1990 tryouts. And then you open it up, and lo and behold, there is Keith Hughes standing back there, right there. His little, his little mug. Uh, that was kind of interesting. But anyway, the funny thing is my father-in-law remembered him remembered his face and everything and said, oh, I've got a picture of him someplace and went through all his junk and found that one little brochure. So anyway, but turn with me in your pew Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17 on page 52 of your pew Bibles. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. This is the Ten Commandments, the most uh, well-known list of them in the scriptures, page 52. And I want you to do something. I want you to stand up with your Bible in hand, and I want you to follow along as I read that aloud. Go ahead and stand up. And I want you to imagine, you know, imagine me a little bit older with a longer beard maybe and maybe like a a robe thing on. And imagine uh, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and he's reading these things to you the first time, these Ten Commandments for the very first time. And just follow along as I read. It says, and God spoke all these words. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter... "'Nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, "'nor any foreigner residing in your towns. "'For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, "'the sea and all that is in them. "'But he rested on the seventh day. "'Therefore the Lord blesses the the Sabbath day and made it holy. "'Honor your father and mother, "'so that you may live long in the land "'the Lord your God is giving you. "'You shall not murder. "'You shall not commit adultery.' You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And I'm sure if, go ahead and have a seat. I'm sure if that was written today, it would add car or whatever, you know. But think about that. That was a memorable day. There are a few moments in history that just are like pivotal for all of humankind. They, they, they twist and turn on those moments. There's, this was a memorable, memorable day. Think about not ever having heard those words before. Think about the revelation of God coming outside of ourselves from God to us, speaking to us, and you're hearing these words for the very first time. That must have been amazing. It must have been very challenging to the way that you were living, too, for many of them, or maybe all of them. And those are words that, since they were uttered the very first time, have changed the world ever since. They have defined societies. They have defined our morality. Everything in this world, you cannot, if you dig down deep enough in any culture, in any society, you come at these, right? There's something And even if a a culture has not heard these before, somehow much of it is intuitively written on our hearts. It's amazing if you think about it. So today we look at the fourth commandment and uh, keeping the Sabbath day of rest. And I would venture to guess that everyone struggles with intentional rest, right? Which is what the fourth commandment is all about, obviously. But it's interesting that in God's moral law, it includes a commandment for us to rest. Isn't that kind of strange? Rest is obviously very important, not only for our health, but also in confronting the pride in us that, think, that thinks we're all that, that thinks we're so high capacity that we don't need rest, that we can just keep going and muscle through, redirecting our, our attention to the Creator and His desires for our life instead of just our desires. And chasing after them all the time. You know, if you've ever had a two-year-old and sat five feet away from them while they're watching their favorite cartoon or playing their favorite, with their favorite toy or whatever it is, it's sort of the same principle. We, we sometimes can yell till we're blue in the face while they're just sitting there catching flies with their mouth, right? Because they, you just cannot get their attention, We cannot focus on the Father's desires, the Father's will for our lives while we tinker with our toys, so to speak. In other words, multitasking is a lie, and we all know that deep down. It's really a lie. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 does state, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? Right? So there is this sense that in the Christian life that we're always, you know, sort of to be focused on the Lord in all ways, in all situations, in all times. But the Sabbath take this, takes this to the new, a, a new and necessary level. It really does. It cuts out distraction. It silences all other voices that compete for God's voice. It brings our attention and our focus solely on Jesus, For one day a week. Slowing down. Stopping. Redirecting ourselves to the Lord. In all things. For one day a week. And learning what good that brings us. What health that brings us. In one article entitled. Or titled. uh, Why it's important to allow yourself to rest. It says that even without a pandemic. Americans are stressed. About 33% of people report feeling stre- extreme stress, and up to 73% report stress impacts their mental health. It doesn't matter what those numbers are. It's high, right? It's high in our culture. I, I think it's higher than it's ever been. As I've talked to people, people are under a lot of stress. And rest is vital for better mental health and increased concentration and memory, A healthier immune system, reduced stress and improved mood and a better metabolism and all that kind of stuff. Now, rest and sleep are different. God is not saying sleep one day a week, right? Rest and sleep are different. But both are equally important to mental and emotional and physical and even spiritual health. Prioritizing rest can actually improve your quality of sleep. So if you don't sleep well, you're probably not resting well, too. Rest looks different for everybody, right? It's, it's any behavior that is aimed at increasing physical or mental well-being. It can be active. It can be passive. It can be taking a hike or laying in a hammock all day, whatever you like. But regardless of how you choose to rest, restful behavior helps us to recover and recharge from physical and mental effort, and rest is definitely linked to better me- physical and mental health. Sleep is a body-mind state. It's it's a sensory sort of detachment from all the other surroundings, and it's, it's an essential bodily function impacting every system of cognitive function to immune health. Quality sleep helps us reset and recover and recharge, absolutely vital to brain function and memory and concentration and immune health and metabolism and all these different things. But unlike rest, right, sleep's something your body cannot function without. Sleep deprived, your body will actually force you to sleep no matter what you're doing. So you can avoid rest but you cannot avoid sleep. You can avoid rest but you can't avoid sleep. That's why sleep deprivation is a torture tactic. Right? If left un treated long-term stress in our lives can cause chest pain and headaches and digestive issues and anxiety and depression and changes in sexual desire and an inability to focus or memory loss all these different things it may not seem like a big deal to skip relaxation or rest in your daily routine however there are benefits great benefits to rest reduce stress and anxiety and improved mood and decreased Blood pressure and chronic pain relief, your body actually repairs itself, improved immune health and stronger cardiovascular systems. We all know this because somebody has written about it in an article. But let me tell you that God called his people to observe the Sabbath and to rest one day a week long before we ever read an article about it by some guy from Harvard or whatever. Right? It's a gift from him. It is meant to be our high point of our our week, supposedly, right? And as usual, what you find when you really do the research over time is that modern science only confirms what the Bible's already told us long before. And actually, that's a lot of what we're learning on Wednesday nights. Sadly, many today begin from the standpoint of culture as their standard measure of truth. So they begin with culture, and they judge the Bible against culture, right? Whereas we, as believers in Christ, we measure culture and science by Scripture. They shoehorn Scripture into culture. They discard from God's Word that which doesn't fit their cultural narrative or some scientific theory that really hasn't even been proved yet. Their revelation is, emerges from within themselves. It comes from within, from from sinful, faulty human hearts and minds. But ours is, as I prayed earlier, comes from the outside of ourselves, from the creator of all beings, solid truth emanating from the very mouth of God. It is trustworthy. So we measure culture and all of its thought against Scripture as Christians. If there's clear contradiction, then we discard it, that thought from culture. But if there's a question, then we are obedient to Scripture and we wait for the Lord to clarify over time, realizing that we are finite beings and we may not get, it, get all those answers. They may not come until the very end of time, as 1 Corinthians 13.12 says. It says, for now we see only as, as a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i am fully known there's a sense of humility here that i can't get all the answers and that's okay the fourth commandment comes if you read it with interesting commentary it's found in verse 8 and then from for the next three verses we're told why this commandment is so important right It doesn't list all of the scientific benefits of rest. That's not not its purpose. But it does give us the command and the moral weight of it, doesn't it? And this is why it is important to trust the divine word of God, knowing that he knows best for life. He knows best for life. In other words, we may not know the exact scientific reasons why something is right or good for us, you know, from reading a reading of God's word. But we can trust the creator of all things to know and direct us to to that which is best and good for us in life. And this has always been true. And in my older age, I've, I've, I've done this many, many years, and it seems to always work out that way. For instance, when you were a kid and you went to stick a fork in the, in, in the socket in the wall, your dad did not break out a whiteboard explaining all the science and the danger behind electrical flows. He didn't do that. He simply screamed, Stop that! Don't do it! You could hurt yourself, you could kill yourself. And you obeyed because he was dad. You obeyed because he was dad. In our prideful arrogance, we approach the scriptures expecting that God would explain all the intricate reasons behind everything in the world. When in actuality, he is allowed, being the father he is, to simply tell us without all the explanation. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Ten Commandments. Not to mention that even if he took the time to write all this down, it would take all the books in the world and more so to, to write down all the details, the scientific science behind creation and all that stuff. And even if God spent the time to write that, we wouldn't read it. We have trouble reading the one book that he did write, right? We spend very little time doing that. And all of this is why Francis Chan wisely says, and I like I like what he says. He says, when I disagree with something in God's Word, I just assume that I am wrong. I just assume that I am wrong. That's always the stance to take. Let's notice that in in verses 8 through 11 of Exodus 20 that none of the other nine commandments get the same level of attention as the Sabbath does, if you think about it. Even the prohibition against idolatry doesn't have as much commentary as the Sabbath. So rest seems to be a very, very important factor for a healthy life, which is reflective of God's character, and and God calls us to health in mind and body, which glorifies his holy name. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. But he rested on the seventh day. God rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it begins with this definition. The Sabbath day is a day of rest that is ordained or consecrated by God as holy, as verses 9 through 11 dictate. Ordination or consecrations are sort of a setting apart with conferred holiness on something or some person, right? The reason is that that, that, you know, that that the day is rooted in the creation order. That We go all the way back to Genesis to find that out. God didn't just create the physical world with all its very aspects. He also created and built into it a day of rest. That's amazing if you think about it. A blessed day which God made holy set apart, consecrated, ordained, as holy. The only one of its kind with such a distinction. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And Israel observed the Sabbath, we know, on what we now know as Saturday, but it was a day to cease work, not work at all, and rest. And they took that very far, actually. And in doing so, we reflect on the God who, wasn't so consumed with his work that he couldn't do the same. In other words, God models rest to us. God models rest to us. If God models something to us, it must be pretty important. So here's your question. When was the last time that you obeyed and you followed God's model and took a Sabbath day's rest? I would venture to guess that none of us, none of us take a whole day's rest every week. I would, I would almost bet money on that. Although in the Ten Commandments it is holy and set apart and it fosters health in many ways in order to be able to reflect God's holy name and fulfill our calling in Matthew 28 really well. But we sometimes get confused about the law, don't we, in the church we, we kind of have this thing where we're not really sure, you know, what what still sticks and what doesn't, right? How does a believer in Jesus relate to God's law? Doesn't it say we shouldn't eat pork? Well, it does, but Jesus fulfilled that aspect of the law. I don't, I don't know if you know that, but he did. So when you eat a bite of bacon, the most glorious of meats, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ah. You know, it is the best. Maybe you don't eat it, but I should. You're missing out, right? I'm trying not to eat it right now, actually. But the Ten Commandments and and other moral law in the Old Testament are different than much of the other Old Testament law. And as such, they are still in effect. And we intuitively acknowledge this. We intuitively kind of know it, right? No one thinks God is okay with stealing. You know, nobody would say that. Or that God's okay with me lying about my stealing. Or or that God's okay with me killing the guy that saw me steal something so I won't go to jail for it. All of us would say, God's not okay with that. Even the guy out on the street would say, God wouldn't be okay with that. Right? But if someone was to say that God's equally not okay with you and I ignoring this command to take a weekly Sabbath, what do we usually say? Well, God fulfilled the law. That's what we say. But here's the problem. We cannot pick and choose which of the moral law that we can follow or not. We cannot pick and choose which of the Ten Commandments are still in play. They are all still in effect. They are. You don't practice them to be saved. You practice them in joy because you are saved. And they're good for you. In one blog, a pastor asked... So how do we know which ones of the 600-plus laws in the Old Testament apply to Christians today? Should we avoid eating shellfish? Ought we to observe Passover? Is it wrong to steal? Do we have to observe the Sabbath? Are sexual relations between blood relatives wrong? Duh. Is tithing an eternal commitment? And we have to answer these questions on something better than just our intuition, right? Right? The terms of the New Testament, or the New Covenant, must guide our decisions. And what we find in the New Testament is that the civil law for you know, one, one set of law was God's way of shaping Hebrew society in a certain time and in a certain place. Therefore it is not binding to, on the church today, right? And then you have the ritual or the ceremonial law, and they, that, was used, uh, they, that used sacrifice and festivals and the tabernacle to teach lessons about sin and atonement which has been superseded. It was all foreshadowing of Christ's coming. So it, all, it was su- superseded by the work of Christ on the cross since he has already atoned for our sin. So I don't go to the tabernacle, to the temple of God, and make a sacrifice and sprinkle the blood on the altar anymore because Jesus has already done that once and for all. It was, that ceased. But at one time it was law for Israel to do those things. Moral law has ongoing validity in the Christian life, mostly because they are repeated someplace in the New Testament, also that Jesus confirms it and that they reflect the character and the nature of God, which we were created in Christ to reflect. But lest we repeat the legalism and the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Jesus' day, we have to also remember... that we are guided in the New Covenant by this one transcendent principle, the law of love or the law of Christ, as we see in Galatians 6, verse 2. Jesus said the whole Old Covenant law can be summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. He said that in Matthew 22. And we remember from past sermons that those two statements <clears throat> sum up the, the two lists in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments teach us how to live in relationship with God, and the the, the remaining six teach us how to re- live in relationship with other people. And God is concerned about that, right? In those two summary statements, Jesus says that all moral law still stands, and it is by his grace and his mercy alone in which we can stand up underneath it, because we will not do it perfectly. We know that. We sometimes need to set aside our self-centeredness. The biblical narrative is, a sto- is the story of God moving in history among people in order to bring salvation to humanity. But that doesn't mean that every single verse is directly applicable to us at all times. The law of the Old Testament is the word of God for all people at all time. We still learn from it. We still understand it. And we still interpret Christ through it and all that kind of stuff. But some is given to specific people groups in the context of God's development of a covenant relationship with human beings over time. The apostle Paul puts it this way he says the law was our guardian in other words our custodian our tutor our pedagogue right until Christ came that we might be justified by faith Galatians 3:24 It was put in place for a time to lead us to understand our need for Christ that's what the sacrifices and the festivals and all that stuff at the temple did for us It led us to our need for the savior let us in a need or an understanding of our sin before a holy God and what he would do to, to bring salvation to humankind. So human. So, uh, the Old Testament is really all about sin and understanding death and sin. The New, New Testament is how God overcame death and sin, right, in many ways. So the ceremonial or civic laws st- and civic law stand as true expressions of, of the will and ways of God, but they are expressed in a particular era of what it means to be the covenant people of God, but fulfilled in Christ. Amen to that. I'm glad I don't have to go to the temple. I'm glad, you know, for many things that I don't have to do. I'm glad that I was born in 1967. Can you believe that? 1967. Hoo, hoo doggy! I'm getting up there. You, those of you who are older than me are saying, you're just still a kid, you know. But Jesus summed it up when he said, he said, I, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them, Matthew 5, 17. But the moral law still stands give, given that it, 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 it expresses the, the character, the nature of God, you know, who God is to us, you know, it himself as a whole, in which we were created to reflect We were to walk in his ways, so it's still applicable to us. And given all of that, the other argument often made (laughs) is to over-spiritualize the Sabbath. We say, well, it's a principle. It's a principle. You know, as long as you're cutting out an hour here or there during your week, you're really observing the Sabbath. You're honoring the Sabbath. Is that really true? It's kind of like saying, well, if you stab somebody in the arm, but it isn't lethal, then you don't have to worry about the fact that you missed their heart. That's kind of nonsense. It really is. God calls us to observe it. And the truth remains, and I think everybody in here would probably agree with me, that our overworked, frenetic schedules coupled with our sort of sedentary lifestyles are killing our minds, killing our ability to think, killing our creativity, and liter- literally killing our bodies. I met two guys from Europe the other day and uh, sat outside of a coffee house talking to them and their wonderful accents. And um, they they talked about how everybody is required. They they were they were here because they were required to take their month vacation day for work, you know? And I thought, oh, isn't that wonderful? I would love that. Most of you struggle to Get up to two weeks at work, right? But these guys are forced to take a whole month every year off because they understand there's something in rest that is valuable. So, this fre- frenetic state that we live in is really it, a lot of it is behind the ills of our society, right? We're crazy, overworked beings, and our current political and economic situation are not helping at all. 78 bucks to fill my tank the other day. That's causes some stress. It was half that before. It's partly the reason that we have so much going on in the world. And we need, we as Christians, remember, we've said over here here over and over again that we have the answer to these ills. And when we practice them, people see that. And when we speak them, they at least have the option to believe that, right? Obeying God's commands are good for us, including the Sabbath. The Hebrew word for Sabbath literally means cessation of work. It's less of a command and it's more of a gift to be opened. It really is. So the Sabbath brings balance to life by forcing us to make God central priority. When do we ever really do that? Some of us do it better than others. And you know, we don't lose our salvation because we don't do these things well, but wouldn't it be great if we did do them well, right? And so this means that if we say, okay, God, I'm going to take seriously your command to weekly set aside work and attend worship and gain refreshment in your presence, then we are going to have to start looking at our lives and figuring out those things that we need to say no to in order to observe the Sabbath. I know some people don't like that. Let me say it twice. If we are going to walk with God well, then we need to put him first priority, that we need to start to figure out in our lives those things that we need to say no to in order to be here on a Sunday morning, worshiping together with the family of God, and taking a rest for the rest of the day. The guiding principle should be that nothing should be placed before our corporate gathering of worship. I believe that as a pastor. I believe that as a Christian. Nothing should come within reason. Nothing should come in the way of of our corporate worship and his day of rest. Now, do I always practice that? No, I don't. I don't. I'll be the first to admit that. But in the movie, Waking Ned Divine, there's a scene at the end of the day when uh, discovering that someone in the village had died, this couple who were friends of the guy that died are about to go to sleep, and the woman says, I I think that we need to make some room in this day for prayers. And that's kind of like how we treat God and his commandments, right? We say, well, I guess we need to figure out how to make, you know, shoehorn God into my week or my day someplace. Rather, it's better, it is absolutely better to regularly commit to the Sabbath. And in doing so, we find that the first three commands are much easier to follow as a result. when you give, Because when you give God command of your time, then suddenly it's much easier to put him first. It is, it is, it is easier not to be confronted with and to have temptation to follow idols. And, and it's easier not to misuse his name. Suddenly life gets better. In his classic work on the Sabbath, Jewish author Abraham Heschel explains that observation of the Sabbath encourages us to just be. Now, listen to this slowly because it's a little heady. He says, to gain control of the world of space, in other words, all the things that we do in in the world, in in space, work, everything else, is certainly one of our tasks. We're called to work. We're called to be responsible in those ways. The danger begins when in gaining power in the realm of space, we forfeit all aspirations in the realm of time. There is a realm of time where the goal isn't to have but to be, not to own but to give, not to control but to share, not to subdue but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. And that is American ideology at its best the pursuit of the things in space around us. He's saying that the Sabbath teaches us that time, time with the Lord, not money, not the house, not the car, not all these things, becomes our most precious commodity. Not even our sinful desires, these things that you know, take up all of our time. Obeying this command also helps us to cast our mind on the one who has ultimately done all the work necessary to make us acceptable to God. It puts us back in our place. It puts us back under Christ. Only Jesus, we remember that only Jesus can do the work which was required to make us right with God. We, we know that only Jesus can do the impossible work of perfect obedience to God in all his requirements. Jesus lived the perfect life. Only Jesus can do the hard task of taking our sin-soaked rags and clothing us in righteousness. Only him. So the Sabbath encourages us to cast our mind on the one who truly worked on our behalf and encourages us to just rest in his work, right? To appreciate his work. And in doing so, we cast our minds forward to the great final Sabbath when we'll in, that we'll enjoy in the world to come, resting and worshiping in the presence of God forever. As Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 states, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every, enter, every effort to enter to, into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We want to walk towards that. And so when we obey God's command to obey the Sabbath, we have the time and the focus to truly enjoy the work of Christ. We end up honoring God really well. We we become healthier emotionally, physically, spiritually in all ways, and we are able to look forward to the greater life to come in Christ. And by the way, I'll just add at the very end there, the greater life to come in Christ. Christ has promised suffering and hardship in this world, but there is a greater life to come in Christ. And most of us are living without that hope. That hope helps you to get through almost anything, or actually through anything. (laughs) It really does. Let's take a moment... I'm going to pray, and then like we've done for the past two to three weeks, um, I want to give you a moment to just confess to the Lord about this one. Have you taken a Sabbath? Have you honored God by following his model? And 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 ask him to convict your heart. What would it do for you to slow down and take that rest one day a week and just make him the, the highest priority, the first priority for your week? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would break this apart. We, we ask that you would sort of let us take this bite by bite. But I pray that we would finish what's on our plate as well. That we take all this whole message in. I pray that you would right now bring us to joyous conviction of what we need to do in this area to walk with you well. Let's just take a moment right now and personally confess to the Lord by yourselves.